0: Good morning. morning. It's great to be together this morning. Let's pray as we begin our time in God's Word. Father, what a joy it is to gather, uh, to sing, to study your Word. And we ask that you'll guide our time together this morning, that you can speak through the power of your Word. It won't be my words, but yours. And that you can work in our hearts by the power of the Spirit Reveal to us exactly what you want us to learn this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a rainy, cold Sunday calls for one of America's favorite pastimes, doing a puzzle. Does anyone enjoy puzzles? I shouldn't have my hand in the air because I really don't. Um, I'll do one puzzle maybe every couple of years. You know, they, they can be fun. Even though puzzles originated uh, or invented in the late 18th century, they really became more popular in our country during a time period called the Great Depression. It might sound interesting, but even though employment, unemployment was at 25%, Americans were buying 10 million puzzles a week during the Great Depression. So it's quite remarkable. But if you think about it, it makes sense. Because for someone who didn't have a job, finishing and completing a puzzle provided that sense of satisfaction and completion that they needed to keep going. And when I think of someone who loves puzzles, I think of my grandpa-in-law. He loves puzzles so much that he and his wife his wife has made a rule, they can't buy any puzzle more than 5000 pieces because if he does, then he'll spend all weekend working on the puzzle. It was their way to compromise. So maybe you love puzzles and I've heard uh, or at least even if I try a puzzle, there's usually some strategies that we'll have when we, when we put the puzzle together, right? You start with the edges, you take like colors together and you group them. And, but what's the one main secret to a puzzle? There's probably a lot of different answers to that, but here's mine. You need the picture, right? You need the solution. You need to know where you're going. And if you try to solve a puzzle without the box, right, that sounds like something you'd see on The Amazing Race or on Survivor, right? Being next to impossible. We need to know where we're going if we want to know how to get there. And that applies to a lot more in life than just puzzles, doesn't it? I think specifically for us this morning, it applies to the church we need the picture, the design of the church if we want to put all of the pieces together. But sometimes we have the wrong view, the wrong finished product of a church in our minds, which means we're not going in the right direction. Because some people view church as a spectator sport. When you become a Christian, we get season tickets, lifelong tickets to Lambeau Field, which would be kind of fun, right? And then... You just go to church every Sunday morning, and you cheer, and you sing, and then you go home and just kind of watch, right? Other people view church like Sam's Club. You pay a yearly membership fee by tithing, and then you just pull off the things from the shelf that you want and leave the things you don't want. And then when that person isn't satisfied with Sam's Club anymore, then they go down the street to Walmart, Target, or Aldi. Other people might view church like a therapy. You know, I go to church to make me feel good about myself. Or I go to church because I'm a good American. That's what we do. But all of those misconceptions, those wrong pictures of the church come from an even more foundational issue. From the wrong definition of church. Because church, it's not something that we watch. Church is not somewhere that we go on a Sunday morning. Church isn't somewhere we go, it's who we are. So if we've turned away from our sin and we've trusted in Christ, then we are the church. The church is comprised of all believers in Christ. You are the church. I am the church. And if we don't understand the right purpose, the right picture of a church, where we're going, then coming to church on Sunday mornings is not going to make a lot of sense. Serving in the church isn't going to make a lot of sense. There's going to be a lot of striving and toiling if we don't have the right picture. So we're going to look at an amazingly beautiful text this morning from the Apostle Paul. And he paints the picture, specifically three pictures, of a healthy church. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter 4 this morning. And as you're turning there, allow me to get it, just provide some context for this book. Paul wrote the book of Ephesians to the church at Ephesus, and he spends the first three chapters unpacking some beautiful theology, the person, the work of Christ. And then he spends chapters four through six unpacking the practical application of that theology. And that's where we find ourselves in chapter four, the practical application of the gospel as it relates to the church. So Ephesians 4, I'm going to start in verse 11 and read through verse 16. The words will also be behind me on the screen. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way in him who's the head, in Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so it builds itself up in love. Let me provide some details in our passage. Verse 11, there's a pronoun, and he gave the apostles the prophets. That he there is Jesus. Jesus is the one who specifically has given these offices for the benefit of the church. And as we learned a couple of weeks ago, none of us in the Old Testament sense of the term are prophets, right? And none of us are apostles either. An apostle was someone who was, with Jesus and commissioned by Jesus for their specific work of ministry. So the disciples were apostles. Paul was an apostle because Jesus appeared to him on the Damascus Road and called him into ministry. But none of us are apostles. But those last three terms apply to us. Evangelists, pastors, which is literally the Greek word shepherds and teachers. then to equip the saints For the work of ministry. Saints is another word for all Christians, which gives us the idea that he's talking about the church. He's talking about our church structure here. And when we talk about the church, we have to ask, well, what does that title mean? Within the New Testament, it can mean at least two things. Church can mean the universal church, which is all Christians everywhere. And then there's the local church, a local body of believers. So we have to ask, what is he talking about? Well, it'd be almost impossible for you and I to be in community, in fellowship, in relationship with all Christians everywhere, right? None of us have millions of friends. So the practical application of the universal church is the local church. So these words, they don't just apply to us generally, they apply to us specifically as a family here at Highland Community Church. So then what is the purpose, what is the vision for a healthy church. Well to do that I want to work through our passage backwards. So I'm going to bend of the rules this morning. And I want to start by reading verse 15 again for us. Where Paul says this. Rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. Into Christ. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped. When each part is working properly makes the body grow. So that it builds itself up in love. On this passage, Paul is using the analogy, the picture of a human body. Jesus is the head, and together we comprise the body. It's a picture of connection and, and interdependence on one another. And I think the analogy of a human body is helpful because Paul is using medical terms like joints and ligaments. I mean, imagine with me for a moment, you're walking down the sidewalk and there is a hamstring hanging in a tree, or there's an ACL laying on the sidewalk, right? Be a little weird. But as you know, I mean, those ligaments, muscles, joints, any part of our body, outside of the body, it's completely useless. But if you've ever tweaked a hamstring, torn your ACL, tweaked your back before, you know precisely how important those small parts of the body are to our overall health. And that's the picture of the body of Christ here, where each a different part of the body, each Christian has a different role and a different gift but we come together to make up the body to accomplish Christ's purpose for the church. He's saying that we can accomplish way more together than we ever could apart. That's how he's designed this structure. And Jesus has chosen the church, his institution of the church, to advance his gospel in the world. And in order for the church to grow, we have to be connected together. And we find the key to this connection at the book end of verse 15 and 16. He says, speaking the truth in love. The church builds itself up in love. Love, that's an important word. And every time we use it, we have to ask, well, what does it mean? Because for me to say, I love ice cream and I love my wife, same word, two different things, right? Because sometimes when we use the word love in our world today, we're talking about This warm, fuzzy, emotional, attractive feeling, right? But that's not what Paul means in this passage. This is an unconditional love, a sacrificial love. And he's saying love is the glue that binds us together as followers of Christ. And for us to experientially understand this sort of love, we don't have to go any farther than the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Remember what John said that Jesus laid down his life for us. This is how we know what love is. That's the gospel. That Jesus came into the world, he took on our form in our flesh, fully God and fully man, and lived the perfect life that you and I needed to live, even though he suffered through every kind of temptation, yet was never guilty. Of sin. But he died a sinner's death on the cross, a humiliating death of a criminal, and he was spat on, and he was bruised, and he was beaten, and he was mocked, and he went to the cross for us. He paid the full weight of humanity's sin. After three days, he rose from the dead, conquering sin, conquering death once and for all. That, my friends, is the gospel. And we have to understand. And Paul said in Romans chapter 5 that Jesus didn't die for us while we were obedient. Jesus didn't die for us while we were his best friends. No, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for the obedient, he died for the rebels. Because none of us are righteous. None of us are inherently good. We all need Christ to save us from our sins. And this might be new for you this morning maybe you know who jesus is but you've never placed your faith your trust in him dying for you then today could be the best day of your life you can even now just pray to god and confess your sin and admit that you believe that jesus died for you and give your life to him that's how any of us become a christian but for those of us that do know christ we have experienced a deeper love than a love we could even comprehend. A deeper love than best friends. A deeper love than a parent and for a child. A deeper love than even a husband and a wife. Because Jesus has laid down his life for us. So as Christians, we should be the most loving people on the planet because we've experienced the greatest love. But what does that look like? Because everyone loves their friends, right? We all get along with people we have stuff in common with. But what makes Christians different than everyone around us? When we have relationships with people here that we have nothing in common with except the common foundation of the gospel. Now this doesn't mean that we need to like everyone we go to church with. It doesn't, need, it doesn't mean we need to be best friends with all 400 people in this room this morning. That's not what he's saying. Instead, there should be this spirit, this willingness to sacrifice for one another. Hannah and I learned this uh, while we were on our honeymoon. It was uh, Sunday morning. We were going to go to church and went to this, this church a little smaller than Highland. And we were clearly the new people. And we went and sat in the middle of one of the rows. And um, the service started. And you know, everyone was really friendly. But after the service, there's this lady sitting a couple seats over from us, and she was sitting right in the aisle, and she could have just walked right out the back and not even said anything. But that's not what she did. She turned the other way, walked towards us, stuck out her hand, and said, hi, it's great to meet you. What are you guys doing here? Um, and uh, we said, oh, yeah, we're, we're just visiting. We just got married a week ago. And, and she said, oh, that is incredible. And she took her Bible and her coffee, and she set it down on the chair, and he took, she took both hands put it on her shoulders and said, you know, I just want to pray for your new marriage. She didn't have to do that. She didn't even know us. But she understood the love of Christ that she'd experienced. And she was just bubbling the love of Christ and just had to pray for us. What a great example of showing unconditional sacrificial love to a Christian that she didn't even know and once we've experienced the sacrificial love of Christ then we can connect in genuine community with one another and you know attending services at highland is a great place to start it's when our chairs are side by side but real community real connection takes place when we're not sitting side by side but we're sitting face to face now don't worry i'm not going to have us turn our chairs next to each other that'd be really uncomfortable But this is why here at Highland, we encourage all of us to be involved in some sort of a small group, whether that's a life group, men's Bible study, women's Bible study, young adults, G180, some way for us to develop those meaningful and deep relationships with one another, studying God's word. And then we know when one another are struggling. We know when someone else needs encouragement. It's a way to to show love and to be loved. Hannah and I have been involved in a life group uh, this year, and it's been great. Um, some other couples in our church. And we met a couple weeks ago and just debriefed our year together. And one of the couples explained that they had been part of Highland for a while, but had had a tough time developing that meaningful connection until they joined a life group. They said this life group had been life-changing for them. It was the exact encouragement that they needed at a really tough season of their life. That would be our encouragement for all of us here today, is to be connected in some sort of meaningful relationships with other Christ followers. And that's our first picture of a church, is being connected, to connect together. And once we're connected, then we can begin to grow, both individually and collectively, to look more like Christ. As we continue, allow me to read verse uh, 13 and verse 14 again. For us. Paul said this, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. In these verses, we see a picture of what growth looks like. As Christians, both individually and collectively, we're not called to be stagnant, to remain the same, but we're called to grow, be on an upward trajectory, growing to look more and more like Christ. It's what we call sanctification, basically growing in our holiness. And sometimes sanctification can look like two or three steps forward and one step back, but over time is our life characterized by growth. And when we hear the word growth in a church context, a lot of times we think in terms of numbers. Numbers. How many members does the church have? How much money is in the bank? How many people are on staff? How many people come to the service on a Sunday morning? Sometimes it can be easy to measure growth in that way. And could we do that? We could. Because each person that comes, is important, represents a soul, right? But that's not how Paul's measuring growth in this passage. He uses three words to measure growth. Unity, knowledge, and maturity. Let's start with unity. Sometimes we think unity needs to mean uniformity, that we all look the same. But that's not what Paul has in mind. Listen to these words from Philippians chapter 2. He says this. I'm going to read the second verse. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. What does it mean for us to be of the same mind, having the same love? Well, think back to that body metaphor, the picture of the body. Who's our head? Christ is our head. Christ is our love. So to be unified as followers of Christ doesn't mean we have to be connected to one pastor or one church or one central philosophy. Our connection is from our unified head, is from Christ. And tangibly, that means we shouldn't divide over secondary issues. Just as Pastor Jeff talked about last week, if one person is pre-trib and another is mid-trib, another is post-trib, that's okay. We don't have to divide over that. If one person leans a little less reformed and one leans a little more reformed, that's okay. There's some issues that we can agree to disagree on and still have unity. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, charity. And in all things, Jesus Christ. And a great way for us to grow in our unity together is to remain centered on God's word. And that's what Paul gets at next. He uses the word knowledge. He's not talking about the initial knowledge of our salvation, but rather the knowledge of growing deeper in our understanding of God. And that can happen primarily through this, through God's Word. First by soaking it, soaking in it and reading it on our own personally, but also understanding God's Word corporately through preaching and teaching of God's Word. And here at Highland, that's why we try to work through God's Word systematically when we preach, working through a book in order, or rarely, like this summer when we're not working through a book in order, we still work through a text in order or backwards, like I'm doing this morning. But when we preach exegetically, then God's word becomes the speaking agent. He sets the agenda. And sitting under the preaching of God's word is a great way for us to grow in our knowledge of God. And once we grow in our unity, we grow in our knowledge, we'll grow in our maturity. And Paul uses another body metaphor. He compares an infant to a mature adult. An infant is easily blown and tossed by the waves. And that reminds me of a slightly self-incriminating story. Um, When I was in junior high, which is the great way to start every story, right, I went to Christian camp for a week in the summer. It was always the highlight of my summer was going to camp. Loved it. And I went with two buddies, and we went up north, having a great week. And one day during free time, we decided we just had to go canoeing. Now, this particular day was really windy. White caps on the entire lake blowing away from the camp. Now, I know this is hard to imagine looking at me now because I clearly spend hours a week lifting in a gym. (laughs) Thank you for laughing. (laughs) But when I was in junior high, I was 80 pounds soaking wet. And unfortunately for me, my two friends were the same size. So we decided to go out in this canoe, and by the time we r- realize that it's too late, we are getting blown clear across the lake, right? And for some reason, my buddy in the middle of the canoe, who didn't even have a paddle, he was deadweight, he stands up in the middle of the lake and starts saying, come help us. I don't know how we didn't capsize. It was the miracle, right? Eventually, the camp sent a rescue boat over to save us and tow us back to camp. Because we literally had no chance against this wind. We were on the other side of the lake. We had the biceps of small twigs. And (laughs) we were no match for the wind. But that's the picture that Paul is painting here. When we lack spiritual maturity, we're easily blown around by trendy beliefs in Christianity That might sound appealing, but go against God's word because spiritual maturity equates to spiritual strength. And God has provided us with pastors, with church leaders that will get in the canoe with us and that they'll help us build those spiritual muscles. And they give us the foresight to persevere against the winds of change that try to sneak their way into the church. And here's a couple popular beliefs in contemporary theology that Go against God's word, but they're trying to creep their way into the church in America. One of which is open theism. It's this belief that God doesn't really know the future, He's not really in control of the future, things are kind of foggy, and it's a way for some theologians to reconcile the problem of evil. But that's not what we see in God's word. God is totally in control of the future. He knew us before the foundation of the world. He's from everlasting to everlasting. He's the beginning and the end. He doesn't, even know, he doesn't only know the future, but he knows the what-ifs. Open theism is not congruent with what we see in God's word. Another trendy belief today is called annihilationism, which is just a big word that basically means that hell's not going to last forever. Heaven's going to last eternally, but, but then hell will just cease, people will cease to exist might sound nice, but it goes against what we see in God's word. Listen to these words from um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul says this, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When you look at God's word, it's clear that heaven and hell are going to last for eternity. But when someone subscribes, subscribes to an annihilationist position, there's less urgency to share the gospel because the bad news isn't quite as bad. It might sound nice, but that's not what we see in God's word. Those are just a couple beliefs that can creep their way into the American church but by regularly learning from church leaders that God has provided for us, we will gradually build spiritual discernment. Because every time we listen to a sermon or listen to a podcast or we go to Sunday school or just spend time soaking in God's word, we grow in our spiritual maturity. We build our spiritual muscles. And as you know, you can't build muscle overnight. right? It takes time and dedication and commitment. It's the same with our spiritual muscles. So there's one reason why it's so important for us to be Committed to consistently coming to church, being part of the Highland family on Sunday mornings. I know summers are busy. I know our lives are busy. But every time we miss church, it's sort of like missing a workout a chance for us to build our spiritual muscle, to grow in our maturity and our understanding of God's Word. So when we connect in community with one another, and second, when we grow in our maturity as Christ followers, then Paul gives us the third purpose of the church, to get outside of ourselves, to go and to accomplish the work that God has set before us. Allow me to read one more time the first two verses from our passage. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And we talked about verse 11 at the beginning, that God has given church leaders, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for a purpose to equip the saints. I love what Jesus said in Matthew 16. He said, I will build my church. And for some reason, he's chosen you. He's chosen me to be the construction workers, to do the building of his church. And very practically, this means that the ministry of the church, it's not just for pastors, The work of ministry, it's not just for those who have theology degrees or those who are compensated. It's not just for those who can play guitar and sing. No, this work of ministry is for all of us. For the saints. To build up the body of Christ. We all have a work of ministry that God has called us to. And that directly connects to our spiritual gifts. Because when we become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. And he gives us a, a gift which is an intangible gift, but it's meant to benefit the body of Christ to serve the church. And there's a lot of different gifts listed in the New Testament from serving and hospitality and giving and encouragement. So how do we find our spiritual gift? Well, I wish there was a magic way to do that. There's not. Sometimes we'll use a spiritual gift inventory, which is basically a spiritualized personality test, and it helps us kind of understand and identify some of our tendencies within the church, which is helpful. But another way is just to ask ourselves, what am I passionate about? What gets me out of bed in the morning? And how can I use that to benefit the church? For someone who loves to cook, we've got a meal ministry that makes meals for families every week that are struggling or hurting or have come on difficult times. For someone who loves working with kids, we're always looking for volunteers to work with our children on Sunday mornings. For people that love to pray We've got groups that gather for prayer every single week. And if you don't know exactly what your spiritual gift might be, that could be a great goal this week. To have a conversation with a pastor, a church staff member, or an elder about how could I serve in the church. But even beyond the walls of the Highlands, we all have a work of ministry that exists outside the church. Beyond what happens here, God has given all of us an opportunity to be salt and light in each sphere that he's placed us in. So remember what Jesus commanded us to do right before he left the earth. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. Most generally, that is our specific work of ministry, to make disciples. All of us are called to discipleship by sharing our faith with people that don't know Christ and then helping people take the next step in their relationship with Christ. That is our work of ministry And some people might accomplish that work by starting a Bible study at at their work or sharing their faith with their coworker. Someone else might have a kid's Bible club at their house during the summer. Someone else might serve the Lord cross-culturally as a missionary. Another might volunteer at the hospice house to share their faith with people who are on their last breath. But all of us, in whatever capacity it might be, are called to discipleship. That's our work of ministry. Now, someone might say, that's great, my work of ministry is the local board that I serve on, or my work of ministry is the community center I volunteer at, or the soccer team that I coach. Now, those could be good works of ministry, but we need to filter them through the lens of this passage. The purpose of our ministry is to build up the church. So if those works of ministry share the gospel with people who don't know Christ, or encourage existing Christians, then those are great works of ministry. But if they don't fall in those categories, then... They might not be the work of ministry that Paul has in mind in this passage, because together we are called to discipleship. Together we make up the church. Now, there's no such thing as a perfect church. And it might have been perfect until I joined, (laughs) or until you joined, right? Because we're not perfect. We still struggle sometimes with sin. But the goal is that together we can strive to grow to look more and more like Christ. Because being part of an active, being part of a healthy church, it's key for our sanctification. And I'm not sure if you caught our three purposes of the church. First was to connect in community. The first was to grow in our relationship with Christ. And the third is to go faithfully serving God and others. Does that sound familiar? Connect, grow, go. Right from our passage this morning, that's the picture of a healthy church. And that's our vision as Highland Community Church, to connect, to grow, and go. And this hits close to home for me because uh, when I was growing up, my family was radically impacted by a church living on mission. My parents didn't know Christ when I was born, but this family invited them, invited us to go to a church a lot like Highland in southeast Wisconsin. They went, and the sermon was relevant to Their life and the music, the worship was vibrant, the kids' ministry was awesome, but the people loved each other, and they welcomed my family in. A couple months later, a couple people from the church knew that my parents were new, and they asked if they could come over and share the gospel with my parents, and my parents decided to follow Christ together. If it wasn't for that church living on mission, connecting, growing, and going, I'm not sure if I'd be here today. Because if we find how we fit in God's mission for a healthy church, then the sky's the limit for what God can do through us. How do you fit? What puzzle piece are you in God's mission to advance his gospel around the world? Let me pray. Father, thank you for your inspired and inerrant word And may you work in our hearts by the power of your word and reveal to us the things in our life that need to change or need to be enhanced because of what you spoke to us this morning. And Father, we want to see your church here at Highland to be used in incredible ways to advance your kingdom in our community, in our country, and around the world. Even as we have students in the Bahamas right now serving you cross-culturally, use them to share the gospel and impact people there. As we start VBS tomorrow, use our church in, in uh, VBS and Marathon to accomplish great works for the gospel in the hearts of those kids. Father, use us as your church for your honor, for your glory, and the advance of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.